0: It was really heartbreaking, you know, to drive across the country and have a clean windshield the whole time.
1: You may be old enough to remember the days when driving in the country at dusk resulted in a fairly substantial number of insects hitting your windshield. Since the early 2000s, that is happening less and less. Welcome to Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. I'm Salwa Khan. What happened? Where had the insects gone? Unfortunately, insect populations are in serious decline all over the world because of monoculture farming, the ubiquitous use of pesticides, habitat loss, and increased urbanization. Why should we care? Because insects are a foundational element for the survival of humans and the natural world. We depend on pollinators for much of our food, and birds, bats, amphibians, and other wildlife depend on them as food. The widespread use of pesticides and fungicides on food crops and on crops fed to livestock has led to the extinction of some insects while vastly reducing the population of others. This is because pesticides aren't particular about who they kill. They may kill a target species, but they also destroy vast numbers of non targeted species. In this program, you'll meet Laurie Ann Bird, whose work at the Center for Biological Diversity focuses on keeping species from going extinct. She clearly sees how the fate of humans and other species on Earth are, as she puts it, inextricably intertwined. Bird is the Environmental Health Director and a senior attorney at the Center for Biological Diversity. I asked her to explain why biological diversity matters.
0: It is the very tapestry of life. And when you pull on a single string, everything begins to unravel. So, um, you know, take for example, uh, the famous example of pollinators. We all kind of have this awareness that we need pollinators now. People didn't really think much of um the value of pollinators 20 years ago, but without them, we humans lose a lot of our food, but it's not just humans. So we think of honeybees, which are um actually imported from Europe to the United States. They're not native here, but there are over 4,000 species of bees native to North America and each of them has a really important ecological niche. So Things that we take for granted like fields of wildflowers and wild blueberries and huckleberries um, and all the richness of life without them they don't exist and without those fields of blueberries and huckleberries neither can bears and birds and so many other species and so we know that the richness of life on earth comes from each species's contribution and without any if any species goes then entire ecosystems begin to unravel, um, and there are countless examples of that.
1: And so uh, now the the Center for Biological Diversity and another environmental organization, the Xerces Society, uh, have recently filed suit against an arm of the Department of Agriculture, which is called APHIS, for Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service. Tell us about this suit So APHIS
0: is a fairly secretive arm of the USDA that does a lot of work on behalf of um, farmers and ranchers who are wanting in many instances to no longer coexist with wildlife. Um, So one of their more famous, more notorious arms is called Wildlife Services and that's the program that eradicates Animals that they view as pests for agriculture, so that can include everything from prairie dogs to wolves, coyotes. Um, they kill over a million animals every single year. Another arm of Aphis focuses on grasshoppers and Mormon crickets. Both um, and and all all these are native species that are co-evolved in our ecosystem. So. Grasshoppers and Mormon crickets, um, like many insects, have a boom and bust cycle. And when they boom, they can cause um, they can make quite a splash. <laughs> and they can boom in really large numbers. And this is entirely natural that insects have these booms and busts. Um, but when they have these booms, they often will compete with livestock for forage, and farmers and ranchers um, who want to feed their livestock that forage don't want the grasshoppers and mormon crickets to eat it so they call in aphis um, to eradicate them and this program happens in 17 western states in the united states um, and it can affect millions of acres every single year because they go through these areas and in most instances they aerially spray them with pesticides um they have a small arsenal of insecticides that they're able to use under this program, and they use them to wipe out the grasshoppers and Mormon crickets. So we, we sued to challenge APHIS's approval of this program on a number of fronts.
1: There's something called the National Environmental Policy Act, which requires uh, federal agencies to assess the environmental effects of their actions. Mm-hmm. How does that relate to your suit?
0: Well, so to carry out actions like the ones that I was describing um, to eradicate, to have the federal government do these massive sprayings to eradicate grasshoppers and Mormon crickets, APHIS has to look at the effects of their actions before they can carry out um, these actions under the law, and the law requires them to look at the broad suite of their effects, the direct effects, the indirect effects, the cumulative effects. Um, in all manner of effects. And so they did this. Um, they did this for the entire program in 2019, looking at the effects on all 17 states. And then every year they put out smaller analyses that are state-specific. But these analyses leave a lot to be desired, and that's because they don't actually consider any of the specific effects on the program. Their, of the program. They're extremely general, so they only look... Um, they, they only describe the effects in the most general way. And APHIS's excuse is that they never know where they're going to spray because they just wait to get the call. And it's um, it all happens kind of fast when it happens. But in mm-hmm. fact, they do know because they revisit the same areas over and over and over. So they don't know exactly where and the precise specificity of what they might do on any given year. But they could sure do a heck of a lot better than they did, and that's what we sued over.
1: Is, is there any, uh, uh, what's the word, is there any enforcement uh, arm of the National Environmental Policy Act? I mean, how, how do we know that anyone is doing what they should be doing?
0: So NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act, simply requires an agency to disclose the environmental effects of their actions. Um, it's not an environmental protection act. Uh, okay. It's not there's no agency associated with it. It's just a law that requires disclosure of environmental effects.
1: So it sounds like something that can be pretty easily gone around or violated or so whatever. the
0: the effects all it requires is that before an agency does something they disclose what they anticipate the effects will be. And the idea behind the law is that oftentimes agencies will look at the effects of their action and find ways to mitigate the effects or find ways to make um, the action not be as harmful from the design stage. So that's that's the intent that Congress had in passing that law um, many decades ago.
1: You're listening to Mothering Earth. My name is Salwa Khan, and I'm here today with Lori Ann Bird. She's Environmental Health Program Director and Senior Attorney at the Center for Biological Diversity. Uh, And we're talking about this uh, lawsuit that was filed by the Center and another organization against the uh, Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service of the Department of Agriculture. So uh, in this pesticide spraying program, what states are being affected by it? So it's all
0: 17 western states. So that's Arizona, California, Colorado, Idaho, Kansas, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Mexico, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Oregon, South Dakota, Texas, Utah, Washington, and Wyoming. Um, But of that list, not all states are equally affected by this program. So. For example, California does not participate in the federal program, um, and they, they don't have APHIS do any insecticide spraying in the state. Some states are much more affected, um, for example, Oregon, Wyoming, um, Idaho, uh, all of those are states where APHIS does a good bit of spraying.
1: So how does this work? You you said they they wait for the call. Who's giving them the call?
0: So APHIS typically has some um, staff going around doing surveys to see in advance what they think the uh, hatch might look like that year. But it's the farmers and ranchers that call APHIS and ask them to come in and spray. Or it can be state or federal agencies also that ask them to come and spray.
1: We're talking with Lori Ann Byrd, Environmental Health Program Director and Senior Attorney at the Center for Biological Diversity. The Center for Biological Diversity's work focuses on the areas where the fate of humans and all other species on Earth intertwine, such as air pollution, water pollution, factory farming, mining, and on pesticides. And uh, you mentioned uh, an arsenal of pesticides. What, What are they using?
0: So the main one they use is called diflubenzerron um, and it's typically sprayed from airplanes over areas of at least 10,000 acres. Um, the other pesticides they can u- that were approved um, in their environmental impact statement for use that were described in their environmental impact statement for use are carbaryl and methamil those are two really old nasty right. insecticides and then Chlorantrin- um and then they ended up not moving forward with using chlorantraniliprole in any of the states that they've described their actions in, but it is in- still in their arsenal of things that they could use.
1: So what do we know about these pesticides in terms of how they affect animals and us humans?
0: So um the main one that's used in the program... Its label warns against exposing bees. um, Because it's an insecticide, it kills insects. Uh, Western rangelands are home to between 600 and 1,000 species of native bees. So you can see how this is a bit of a problem. Um, And then it's also uh, dangerous for aquatic invertebrates as well. Um, Other pesticides like carbaryl and Malathion, we know much more about because they've been around for decades. Um, they're both very highly toxic to um, most species, um, but of course, particularly invertebrates. And then both of them also are associated with serious human health effects as well. um is a systemic insecticide, which means it's absorbed by plants. and when it's sprayed, all parts of the plant will absorb it, and all parts of the plant will then become toxic. Um, so the leaves, the pollen, the nectar, and that means the exposure to it will go on for um, an extended period of time. It's also, of course, highly toxic to monarch butterflies and other non-target species.
1: And then, uh, so so these are sprayed on plants that the animals, the livestock are eating. Is that right? Doesn't it There's- also affect?
0: It's sprayed on the rangelands, um, right. so yes, that includes the you know the plants and everything on them.
1: So that would also affect the livestock that are foraging on that land. Um,
0: you know, I imagine they probably try not to do it when livestock are directly present, but yes, livestock would be then eating the insecticide-treated. Right. Forage.
1: You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here today with Lori Ann Bird, uh, Environmental Health Program Director and Senior Attorney at the Center for Biological Diversity. Can you tell me a little bit more about the pesticides and why they are of such great concern for you as someone who uh, fights extinction or works to fight extinction?
0: Absolutely. Thanks for asking. So, we are in the midst of the sixth great extinction on Earth, Um, and this is the only extinction that's ever been caused by the choices of one species. And and in this case, it's humans. So humans are driving extinction on a never before seen scale on Earth. Um, And it's heartbreaking to see what's happening. For example, one in four species of bumblebees in the United States is currently imperiled. And pesticides play an outsized an outsized role in driving extinction unfortunately Um, we use over a billion pounds of pesticides every single year in the united states it's a pretty astounding number so that includes herbicides insecticides rodenticides fungicides and these are chemicals literally (laughs) made to kill. So Mm -hmm. it's no surprise that they're having off-target impacts and killing all manner of other species, especially at the scale that they're used throughout the country.
1: They don't just affect the insect that they're targeting, but other animals as well, which means that wildlife and other creatures are being affected, correct?
0: Absolutely. There are over 230 species protected by the Endangered Species Act in the areas covered by this program.
1: And, and why, why exactly are, uh, I know a lot of people say, insects, who cares about insects? But why are they important to us?
0: Insects are incredibly important for all functions of life. Um, to name just one, without insects, uh, decomposition doesn't happen. We also need insects. For pollination, we need insects to make soil. Um, there, There are so many vitally important roles. And then also, of course, they're the basis of the food chain in many instances. So without insects, we lose a lot of other species as well.
1: You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. I'm here today with Lori Ann Bird, Environmental Health Program Director and Senior Attorney at the Center for Biological diversity. Um, and I'm curious as to uh, how did you get interested in this issue? What, Why is it important to you?
0: You know, when my program was started <laughs> seven years ago, it was kind of like on the list of like, hey, I think there's this program that allows for the USDA to spray millions of acres with pesticides. Um, and it must have terrible impacts on wildlife. And so it was always sort of kind of percolating in the back of my mind that there was this very destructive program. Um, And then in 2019, they put out an environmental impact statement looking at the entire program and that environmental impact statement had so many problems. And so we uh, submitted detailed scientific and legal comments on that. Um, And then every year since then, I have commented on the individual plans for almost every single Western state, providing USDA with detailed feedback on why these analyses were inadequate and our concerns about the program, and they never responded to any of those concerns in a substantive Mm. way. Um, And so, having done that year after year, we had no choice left but to sue in order to make sure that... um, our concerns could actually be heard. And it's, you know, I'll say overall, it's pretty astounding that in the midst of this extinction crisis, where we're hearing so much about creating pollinator habitat and the need to conserve, and looking out for species and looking out for bees. It's pretty astounding that a program like this still exists. Um, You know, you could see it maybe existing in an era where people didn't understand what was happening and the effects of these insecticides. and biodiversity, but now that we do have a robust understanding, there's really no excuse. Um, for example, one of the pesticides that's allowed to be used under this program, Malathion, it's likely to harm 97% of all endangered species, according to EPA. So it's not yeah. like we don't, <laughs> we don't know yeah. that there are impacts. Uh, we very well do know that there are impacts. It's just that USDA wants to ignore them
1: does does uh, aphis or or the USDA do they go in after they've sprayed to see what the effect is
0: you know they claim they do some post spray monitoring in some places but it's very hard to monitor for what's not there and you're never right. going to you know come across like the you know evidence of an insect decline because they're too tiny and so That's not really how it works, but I will say just a few weeks ago, I drove from Arizona to uh, Portland, Oregon and stopped by a lot of the sprayed areas on my way and was looking at these rangelands and trying to understand what was going on in them. And it's full spring, there's tons of wildflowers, and I was astounded by the lack of insects flying So Mm. few butterflies, so few bees, so few moths. Um, It was really heartbreaking, you know, to drive across the country and have a clean windshield the whole time. A lot of people talk about the windshield effect. And remember, just 10 years ago, um, you'd have to clean your windshield every time you stopped. Yeah,
1: that's Um, right.
0: And we no longer have to do that. Um, And that is in part because of programs like this that are just failing to consider what they're doing to the species that weave the tapestry of life. You know, people can disagree on many things, but you won't find anyone who will tell you that um, the windshield effect isn't <laughs> happening. I think when people hear the term rangelands or think about rangelands, they're not, it, it's it's easy to overlook what vital habitats these are. Um, Grasslands are the single most imperiled ecosystem type in North America, um, in part because they're so easy to convert into um, agricultural lands. Um, And the rangelands that we have that haven't been completely destroyed and plowed over are incredibly important habitat for countless species. So, you know, these aren't the types of places that I think people think about in that context, people think about, you know, streams and more natural feeling areas. Um, But these places really do hold a lot of biodiversity and have tremendous value. You know, these aren't the mountaintops. These aren't the wilderness areas. These are vast swatches of the West um, that are in many instances overgrazed. Um, But they still provide incredibly important habitat and they're still really vital places to think about conserving Um, and i think the story of the sage grouse really tells the story of what's happening to these places where once common species are now increasingly hard to find and these marvelous animals like the sage grouse with all their funny dances and quirky displays are vanishing um, because we fail to take them into account and we cause so much disturbance on these areas thinking that, you know, the resources are endless and no one is getting impacted. So I think it's really important to recognize all these areas as habitat um, and to see their intrinsic value. But I will note this program also, it doesn't just spray in, you know, kind of rangelands that maybe no one's heard of it also sprays in the national in the malheur national wildlife refuge all around there they're doing sprays and this is a place that people from all around the world come for birding um it's an extraordinary place and birds of course eat insects and so they're doing this insect spraying all around this world-class birding habitat just around the time that people are coming to visit it um they're also spraying adjacent to wilderness areas and all manner of areas of special concern. So
1: this program is out of control, um, and we would like to see it fade away. When you're saying they're they're spraying next to, the, there's drift from the spraying that goes... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and they're
0: spraying out of airplanes, um, and anyone who spends any time... Out in the West, knows that, well, I guess anywhere these days, but the weather can change um, on a dime. And so, you know, the conditions might look really good when the pilots set off that morning, but the wind direction can change or pick up or, you know, a little twister can come. And that can all carry that insecticide into non target areas, including, you know, to streams and other waterways that are home to all manner of species. I wish I could just convey to you my love of these places. <laughs> Having just gone through them, I, these are just some extraordinarily beautiful places and some of the last places where a person can go to to like feel like they're getting away. And this is happening all over our public lands, on national forest lands, on BLM lands, on wildlife refuges, and also on private land. But these are really special places and we should be able to enjoy them and know that they are being enjoyed by the animals that have existed on them since time immemorial without the threat of this terrible spraying program.
1: Is there anything uh, people who are listening could do? Can they write to the federal government or or what can we do to, uh, to help?
0: In general, I don't (laughs) advocate that individuals, you know, should feel responsible for our current environmental crises since so much of them are driven by policy um, and the choices of politicians and decision makers. And we're, you know, we're living with those choices in the society they create. But there are some things we can do that really do make a difference. Um, One of them is eat less meat. Um, and I know that you might be like, wait, what does pesticides have to do with meat? So we use over 200 million pounds of pesticides in this country just to grow corn and soy, um, just to feed animals in factory farm situations. So an enormous amount of our pesticide use is driven by the meat industry. And for our case, challenging aphises, grasshopper spring program, all of that spring is driven by the desire to keep that forage on the landscape for cows and not for the native wildlife that need it. Um, And so instead of sage grouse and all the other amazing species that would thrive on grasshopper boom, we end up having these sprays to protect the livestock industry. So one really important thing that people can look at is reducing their meat consumption. Another thing that people can do is um, buy organic when they are able. And a third thing they can do is grow native plants that are not treated with pesticides um, in order to provide some habitat for pollinators and other native insects.
1: The suit filed by the Center for Biological Diversity may someday end up in a courtroom or a settlement could be reached. Regardless, the use of widespread pesticide, fungicide, and herbicides isn't going away anytime soon, even though we know without question that these poisonous chemicals kill what are called non-target species, species that aren't the intended target of the particular poison. We also know that when crops and rangelands are sprayed with these poisons, some of it drifts to areas that are not meant to be sprayed. Thus, the overall footprint of the spray enlarges, depending simply on the direction of the wind. And it's not just the government or farmers who are responsible for spraying. Individuals spray their yards with some of the same harmful chemicals, resulting in drift and the destruction of non-target species, including pollinators and other beneficials. All of this is really bad news for insects, plants, and us humans. Landscapes that have been poisoned by pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides are used by people, by children, by pets, who then absorb the poisons by inhaling the spray and through skin contact. You can do something about this by maintaining an organic yard filled with native plants and by refusing to buy or use poisons. You can also write to your congressional representatives to tell them you don't want the USDA or any other government agency spraying poisons on public or private lands. Whenever you can, buy organic produce and eat a plant rather than a meat-based diet which reduces the amount of land used for meat production and thereby the amount of land the meat industry sprays for their livestock. Thanks so much for listening. Please tell people you know about the Mothering Earth podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform. Mothering Earth is also on Instagram at mothering earth. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living needs.